Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Most of us have experienced it at some point. Maybe you're woken up by a slight rumbling sensation, or you notice a glass of water on the table suddenly starts trembling. Minor earthquakes happen every day across the globe, yet scientists still don't fully understand the physical processes behind them. I'm Suzanne Taylor-Muzzin for the Office of Public Affairs. Today we're talking to Maureen Long, Assistant Professor of Geology and Geophysics at Yale University, to help us learn more about these earth-shaking events. So to start off, just give me the quick 101 on earthquakes. Well, an earthquake is when you have a sudden release of energy in the form of seismic waves um, due to slip along a tectonic fault. Um, so earthquakes are generally a consequence of plate tectonics. Um, plate tectonics is, um, refers to what we know is going on at the surface of the Earth. Um, the Earth's surface, the crust, and the upper part of the mantle, so about the top 60 miles or so, um, is made up of stiff plates, and these plates um, move with respect to one another. So plates move very slowly. They might move um, perhaps an inch a year. Um, it's actually about as fast as your fingernails grow. Um, but over time, when plates move, they will cause uh, stress to build up along faults. And when that stress is suddenly released and you have um, two plates slip past each other, that's an earthquake. Um, most faults are located along plate boundaries, so that's where we see uh, most earthquakes. Um, we seismologists use a few different scales um, to sort of measure earthquake magnitudes. Um, you'll often hear about the Richter scale. Um, uh, on the news, people often, often refer to earthquakes uh, Richter magnitude. Um, another scale that's often used by seismologists is called the moment magnitude scale, and the two scales are, are fairly similar. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that earthquake magnitudes are logarithmic, and what that means is that a magnitude 8 earthquake um, actually releases about 30 times as much energy as a magnitude 7 earthquake. Um, as you said, earthquakes are, are very common. Um, it, it's actually estimated that there are several million earthquakes per year, um, although many of those are not felt by humans and not even detected by instruments. Um, there are about 50 earthquakes a day that are big enough to be detected and located by uh, global seismic networks. So earthquakes are very common occurrences, um, and, and they're you know, a great, really interesting phenomenon of the Earth to study. Um, but not all earthquakes, even, even big ones, cause lar large amounts of damage, which is lucky for us, um, because many happen in sparsely populated areas. So how do seismologists like you go about studying these things? Well, there, there are actually two reasons that scientists are interested in earthquakes. Um, the first one is fairly obvious. So earthquakes are a natural hazard. Um, when they happen close to populated areas, they cause a lot of loss of life and, and um, large amounts of damage. And the better we understand the physical processes that go on in the earth when an earthquake happens, the better we'll get at understanding where and when and why earthquakes happen. Um, learning about earthquake behavior also helps us to better understand the process of plate tectonics because many earthquakes happen at plate boundaries. The second reason, though, that seismologists are interested in studying earthquakes is because when an, an earthquake happens and it produces seismic waves, those waves propagate through the earth um, and this actually gives us a very powerful tool to study the Earth's interior. So it's very similar to when you, know, you go to the doctor and you, you can get something like a CAT scan, um, which will get an image of the interior of your body um, from waves that have passed through it. And we can actually do something very similar uh, with seismic waves. So in the same way, seismologists can use seismic waves that have passed through the Earth to learn about what's going on um, deep within the Earth. 
So the tools that, that seismologists use to study earthquakes um, are, are known as seismometers. So these are instruments that will measure um, ground motion. And they're actually capable of measuring very small ground motions, much smaller really than humans um, are able to detect. So seismometers are, are deployed all over the world. We have global networks that help us locate earthquakes. Um, and they can also be deployed in, in kind of a network or an array in a region um, of tectonic interest. So say you're interested in studying the crusted mantle beneath a particular region of the Earth, such as a subduction zone or beneath a mountain range, you can deploy a network of seismometers and measure earthquakes that happen all over the world, and that will help you study um, what's going on in the Earth's interior beneath your network. So even on the other side of the planet, you can detect an earthquake that's happening. Absolutely, yep, yep, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Very neat. So earthquakes obviously have been in the news a lot lately with the recent ones in Haiti and Chile. Were those two in particular related at all, or was there anything special about those ones? Well, these two earthquakes, um, they, they actually weren't related in a tectonic sense, um, but what they did have in common was that they were both destructive and, and caused loss of life and property in the regions affected by them, so we heard a lot about them on the news. Um, the two earthquakes actually are a little bit different from a sort of tectonic standpoint. Um, the Haiti earthquake was about a magnitude 7, and it occurred on a strike-slip fault. So what this means is you have two plates that are kind of sliding past each other. It's very similar to the San Andreas Fault in, in California, which a lot of us are familiar with. Um, a magnitude 7 earthquake is actually not really that big. Um, there are, on average, about 15 earthquakes a year um, on the Earth that, that are that magnitude or bigger. Um, so what made the Haiti earthquake um, you know, very newsworthy, of course, was that it was, it was extremely deadly because it happened um, beneath a, heavy, a heavily populated city. Um, the Chile earthquake actually occurred on a different type of fault. This is, um, it happened in what's known as a subduction zone. So this is when one tectonic plate is diving under another plate and going back into the Earth's mantle. Um, and subduction zones actually are where the biggest earthquakes on Earth tend to happen. Um, so the Chile earthquake was, was very big. It was about a magnitude 8.8. .8. Um, and the, the 2004 Sumatra-Andaman earthquake, which also was you know, very newsworthy, um, that al also happened in a similar kind of subduction zone uh, setting. Um, what these two earthquakes have in common, the Chile earthquake and the Sumatra-Andaman earthquake, was that they each caused a tsunami, although obviously the Sumatra tsunami was, was much bigger and caused much more um, damage and loss of life. So the Haiti earthquake and Chile earthquake um, both made the news because there was a lot of damage associated with them, but um, it, in a tectonic sense, they were actually fairly different. So why did we hear so much more about the earthquake in Haiti then than the one in Chile, which was actually bigger? Well, these earthquakes, I mean, obviously they're both uh, disastrous for the people who are in the affected area, um, but there are some differences just in the way they happened um, kind of from a tectonic standpoint. So in, in Haiti, the earthquake was very shallow and the, the hypocenter, so that's where the earthquake originated, was directly under the city of, of Port-au-Prince, which is, was, um, is very heavily populated. Um, with Chile, the fault that ruptured um, was a little bit deeper and not so directly linked to a heavily populated city. Um, the other difference is, is really a difference in, in infrastructure. So a lot of the infrastructure in Haiti was not able to withstand um, an earthquake very well. And because of that, the loss of life in Haiti um, was, was much bigger than that in, than in Chile. Um, so even though the Chile earthquake was actually, it was almost two orders of magnitude bigger, and so there were hundreds of times more energy released in the Chile earthquake, the Haiti earthquake ended up being a lot more destructive. Now, your work takes you into the field at times, right? 
It does. Yeah, it's one of the best things about my job. So tell me about the different places you've been and, and what you do there. Yeah, well, I've recently been um, involved in a project out in eastern Oregon in a region uh, known as the High Lava Plains. So this is a region um, where we have observed um, a lot of volcanic activity on the Earth's surface um, fairly recently in geologic time over the past few million years. We don't understand why very well. So I was involved in a project that um, deployed over 100 seismometers in this high lava plains region in eastern Oregon um, to try to study what is going on in the mantle that might be causing the volcanism that we see at the surface. Um, I've also been involved in deploying some seismometers recently um, a little closer to home in, in Virginia and West Virginia on the east coast of the U.S. Um, the reason for that is to, the, to study um, the, the eastern U.S. is what's known as a passive continental margin. So it's in the middle of a tectonic plate, but in the past it's been the site of mountain, mountain building episodes and also um, the breakup of the Pangaea supercontinent. So it's a really interesting place, again, to try to understand what's going on in the interior of the Earth. Um, recently, actually just last week, I was involved in deploying a seismometer um, down in the Caribbean on the island of Dominica. Um, I was down there uh, actually with a group of Yale students from the um, natural disasters class. And so along with the students, I deployed a seismometer um, there on Dominica. Uh, the Caribbean is, is a, also a subduction zone, um, like Chile, as we were talking about. And um, I do a lot of research on subduction zones, so it'll be really interesting to see some data um, from that region. Now, I understand you've also deployed a seismometer a little closer to home? Yeah, that's right, actually. Um, I, I About a year ago, I deployed a seismometer um, in my dad's backyard in Maine, and it was uh, <laughs> mainly to test um, some, new, uh, some new instruments, some new equipment um, that Yale acquired recently. Um, we we uh, acquired a, a pool of 20 broadband seismometers, and so this was an initial um, test run. But what's really cool is that with this instrument deployed in my dad's backyard in Maine, um, I'm able to record earthquakes from all over the world. And for example, if there were a magnitude 5 or 6 earthquake in, say, Indonesia, I would be um, able to record it with that instrument. So how do you gather that data, and, and what do these instruments tell you? Well, what... The, the piece of data that's really interesting to me in my research is, is mainly recordings of earthquakes that happen all over the world. So the earthquakes happen, the seismic waves propagate through the earth and are recorded by my station. And it, those seismic waves contain a lot of information about what's going on in the earth's interior. So my specific research interest is um, I, I study the mantle. So this is the, the layer that actually makes up most of the solid earth. So it's between the thin crust at the surface and the metallic core at the earth's center. Um, and I'm really interested in, in kind of how mantle flow and how mantle convection works. So um, the mantle is convecting to get rid of its interior heat. And all this means is that cold stuff in the mantle will sink and hot stuff will rise um, because it's buoyant. And so what this means is that the Earth's mantle is actually continually moving and convecting and flowing, even though this happens, again, very slowly at about the same rate as, as plates move. Um, so we know the basics of how mantle convection works, but we actually don't know the pattern of this mantle flow very well. And that's what I study using seismic waves. It's actually really neat when, when um, you have mantle flow, it actually leaves behind a, a fingerprint of, of what this mantle flow geometry and process has been um, in the way seismic waves propagate through it. And, and so that's um, something that I can look for in recordings of earthquakes um, from all over the world at a single seismic station. And it actually can tell us 
what the geometry of, of mantle flow is um, beneath the receiver. So that's kind of the, the type of scientific problem that I work on, and collecting data from different um, seismometers all over the world helps us to sort of build this picture of how um, mantle flow and what the pattern of, command, of uh, mantle convection is. So I have to ask you, what's the biggest earthquake that you've ever experienced? <laughs> well, it's actually funny you should ask because um, I am a seismologist, but I have actually never felt an earthquake. <laughs> um, I have lived on the East Coast my entire life, and I um, just have not had the opportunity to feel one. So uh, every time I travel to, to California or I, I've been to Japan or you know places that are prone to earthquakes, I'm always kind of half hoping that I'll uh, have the opportunity to feel a small one. I don't, I don't need to feel a big one. Um, so yeah, someday, but for, for now, I'm a, a seismologist who's never felt an earthquake. It sounds like there's a lot left for us to learn about earthquakes and what's going on below us. There absolutely is. There absolutely is. Well, thanks for giving us a glimpse into what it's like to study these fascinating and formidable events. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Maureen Long is Assistant Professor of Geology and Geophysics at Yale University. This was recorded on March 18, 2010.